when people running AM radio bemoan the fact that uh, it's not doing as well as it once did, you know, my gut reaction, my visceral reaction is like, are you kidding me? Charles Adler doesn't have a lot of time or love left for radio anymore. The veteran talk host who parted ways with Chorus Radio in 2021 transitioned into podcasting earlier this summer with the launch of The Charles Adler Show in partnership with Cryer Media and the Sound Off Podcast Network, making his podcasting debut at number one on the Canadian News Commentary Chart. He joins us on Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to share his unfiltered thoughts on the state of Canadian media and why he thinks the big broadcasters are in trouble. We also get into his enduring love affair with Winnipeg. Hi, my name is Charles Adler. I have been doing broadcasting and now podcasting for a little over half a century. So it all started out with a little radio station in Montreal, which is essentially my, my hometown. I was born in uh, Europe, but uh, got to Canada when I was two and a half years old. So I was raised in Montreal and at a station called CKGM on Green Avenue in the Westmount part of Montreal, a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. I worked at a station called CKGM. They were the rock station. It was an AM station, but there, for all intents and purposes, was no FM in those days. There might have been a station or two playing elevator music, but if you were a young person loving rock and roll, whether you were French, English, or anything else in uh, the Montreal area, CKGM was your number one station. And I guess overall, we were always either number one or number two in the uh, English-speaking market. So CKGM is where I started. I was uh, going to McGill University during the day, and in the evening, six until midnight, I was producing rock and roll radio uh, for um, great uh, DJs. Some of them were American, some were uh, Canadian, but they taught me a lot in this business. You, you stand on the shoulders of giants, and those were giants in my mind. After the uh, shift, after midnight, I'd go into the uh, production studio and simulate uh, radio shows, uh, demo tapes, as we would call them back then, and I would send the demo tapes out to various stations across the country. Uh, about six months later, I got a couple of offers on the same day, one in Ottawa, and one in Calgary, and uh, my my friends who were mostly uh, Westerners at the time, the people I was working with at CKGM, all uh, said that I have to go west, young man, go west, go to Calgary. And that's where I started my DJ career in January of 1974. Calgary's been a good luck charm for me ever since. About 15 years later, I started my talk radio career in Calgary, and about uh, 15 years after that, my, my first TV uh, national uh, talk show also in Calgary. So yeah, Calgary's been good to me, but so have many other markets in Canada and the United States. I guess I've worked in every major uh, Canadian market, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg, a, a bunch of others, including uh, London and, and, and Barrie. But um, I got to work uh, for Standard Broadcasting, which was the huge uh, middle-of-the-road outfit that owned the CJD in Montreal and and uh, CFRB in, in Toronto, I worked for them. Worked for uh, Chum in Toronto, and I worked for Chum stations in other parts of the country, including Winnipeg and Vancouver. Yeah, I guess I worked for WIC, which was a huge concern out of Vancouver. They owned the famous CKNW when CKNW was at the Lion of uh, British Columbia. They were the ones who owned CJOB, and they floated me the offer to move from Montreal back to Winnipeg. And when when was that anyway? Nineteen nineteen ninety eight. 
And uh, that was a very uh, big move for me. Uh, it uh, got me to CGOB, which was the number one station in Winnipeg. I had moved from CFRB, the number one station in Toronto. But um, Winnipeg had become my adopted hometown. Uh, lots of friends, and I was looking forward to rejoining them in Winnipeg, which I did. And then I stayed there for about uh, 17 or 18 years before I moved uh, back to Vancouver for about six years. Now, of course, I'm back in uh, Winnipeg. I uh, did a five-year tour of duty in the United States based in Tampa and then in uh, Boston. Boston is where I also did television and won an Emmy uh, for a show called Adler Online and specifically for a feature called Chuck in the Truck, which was a lot of fun. I got to drive a, an F-150 all over Connecticut and Massachusetts and Maine and other parts of uh, New England while we were doing the, the, the TV show. And I got to meet a lot of uh, wonderful people and uh, ended up doing some pretty funny bets, pretty entertaining bets. I think that's what won us the Emmy with the great producers that I had at WABU, which was a TV station owned by university. That was the only time I worked for a, a university. That was uh, Boston University. And so that's the uh, summation of the uh, of the, the radio journey in, I guess, three minutes or less. I'm, I'm known for uh, doing things like uh, on the podcast, uh, Three Minutes That Matter, because I'm one of these people that doesn't want to do uh, the kind of communications that I don't want to listen to myself. So I try to keep things uh, tight and, and, and to the point and, and leave out all the, the, the fat. I don't want to sit here and drone on and on and on like someone with half a century of, of broadcasting <laughs> slash podcasting experience. Podcasting is uh, what I'm doing now, but I've only been doing it for a month. Don't claim to be any expert. And I don't think I do podcasting much differently than I do broadcasting. I talk to the folks, I talk to people who are listening, and of course I talk to people who are my guests. I think I treat them pretty much the same way as I treated them in radio. I guess the major difference is that I don't have to pause for news and weather and traffic and commercials, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot easier on the listener, and most important, it's not appointment tuning, so the listener, viewer, can tune in anytime, uh, anytime, 24-7, which I think is, at least in my mind, still pretty magical to be able to listen to a show anytime uh, you want to. And Connie, I hope that's uh, what you're looking for, uh, my introduction to the uh, to the journey of uh, 1973 to 2023. I want to start by talking more about your transition to podcasting, Charles. You've got a month of shows under your belt now, as you said. How have you found it? Do you miss the energy of live radio? No, I don't, because in live radio, I'm interrupted all the time. As I said, by uh, news, weather, traffic, commercials, and in podcasting, I get to download uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is, uh, with the guests. And so I just I just don't find it cumbersome at all, and I find it very easy to, to focus and concentrate without being interrupted. I mean, I, I guess you could look at the... Radio thing is live energy, but I, I don't see it as live energy. I, you know, much of it is a nuisance. Uh, new, newscasts that are really, really repetitive. You know, same news has been read for the last number of hours. Much of it just wire copy, not uh, terribly creative. Uh, commercials, same commercials that have been playing for for months and months and months. So I, I don't find all of that stuff exciting or energetic at all. Uh, I really prefer podcasting. It's much easier on my head, uh, much easier on the listener. You debuted at number one on the Canada News Commentary Chart, and you're currently the most listened to podcast on the Sound Off Podcast Network, which Broadcast Dialogue is also a part of. That has to be terribly validating, Charles. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, uh, you know, you, you, you do this business, as I said, for 
a half a century, you pick up some some loyalty, some devotion over the years. And uh, I've uh, told the folks, whether I'm working in Canada, the United States, that you know I owe you everything. Um, they've been very, very uh, good to me, and, and hopefully they've benefited from some of my own thoughts and some of my own uh, capacity to get really, really interesting, intelligent conversationalists to share their thoughts. I want to talk about what's developing into an ongoing epitaph for AM radio. You've spent a lot of your career in AM, and we saw another station closer last week in Brantford. CKPC AM went dark after 90 years. I'm wondering if you have thoughts on the marked difference in approach here in Canada, with most broadcasters seemingly throwing in the towel versus the U.S., where they're lobbying Congress to fight for the AM band. Yeah, I don't see much future for AM, but the reason I don't see much future for it is I just don't find it very good. When I say that, I'm probably ticking off a lot of people in in broadcasting, but AM radio was the most exciting thing in my life uh, for most of my life. And I just don't find it very exciting now. I find it very uh, predictable. I don't uh, find the talent exceptionally talented. I don't hear much uh, creativity. You talked about energy earlier. I don't hear energy. It's uh, it's flatter than the prairie. And it, it, it sounds to me like a, a dying medium. And according to all the reports that are coming into the CRTC from the various broadcasters who want to stop doing AM radio, I guess it is dying. I don't know about you, but I'm not really engaging with AM the way that I used to. I think a large part of it is habit. When I moved to the Maritimes, AM radio really wasn't a thing there, and you stopped thinking about it as an option. Do you want to talk about your own media consumption habits these days? Well, I haven't listened to uh, radio. I mean, I listen to satellite radio. I listen to Sirius XM. I've been a subscriber for you know, about a quarter of a century, I guess, close to the the very uh, beginning of Sirius. And so that's what I listen to when I'm in the car. I don't listen to it that at home. I'm just looking around uh, my home right now. I don't have any of the appliances. I don't have any radios. So I guess that tells you all you need to know about uh, my, my consumption of radio. I've got the TV on most of the time and, of course, the computer. I love Spotify. I'm on that a lot. Uh, I sometimes uh, watch the uh, the cable channels. I don't really watch them, but the ones who are, you know, pumping out music. So whether it's jazz or country, I watch uh, YouTube a lot, mostly uh, mostly country and rock. You know, lately I've been watching a lot of stuff that was put out by Robbie Robertson because he died recently, and then a few weeks earlier, my friend Gordon Lightfoot uh, Gordon Lightfoot passed, and so I was paying attention to a lot of a lot of that. I, I think most of what. I used to listen to on radio in terms of music, I guess I'd have to say has been replaced by YouTube. And I think writ large, YouTube has become the favorite radio channel, even though it's not called that, but it's the channel that most people listen to when they're listening to to audio and they're not listening to Spotify or, or Apple. I'd say Spotify, Apple, YouTube has essentially replaced much of the reason why people were listening to radio at least those of us who were listening for music. And for those of us who were listening for information, I mean, my God, uh, AM radio, especially Top 40 AM radio, which I had a particular affinity for for a number of years, had really creative newscasters, you know, really interesting uh, writing. It was very, very dynamic. It was just uh, so much more fun to listen to than the guys droning on and middle-of-the-road radio or CBC or whatever. 
traditional information sources, but that top 40 newscast is, is gone now. And you just got, you know, very, very inexperienced people trying to do their best to read really dull wire copy. And so when people running AM radio bemoan the fact that uh, it's not doing as well as it once did, you know, my gut reaction, my visceral reaction is like, are you kidding me? You, you know, is this, is it hard for you to figure out why this particular product, this genre in, in 2023, isn't doing well? If this had been the product, if this had been the style of it uh, 50 years ago, there's no way I would have gotten into radio. It wouldn't have excited me. It would, it would have been the last thing in the world I would have wanted to get into. What do you make of the narrative from some of the big broadcasters, mo- most of which are multi-billion dollar companies? They're still operating at a profit, but they're appealing for government relief. Yeah, well, they're not very good. So to me, they're not very credible. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give them any relief and I wouldn't give them any sympathy. Uh, you know, they've drained the talent pool. They don't seem to have any respect for talent. I don't know what they're doing for the advertisers. You know, there used to be a real simple rule. You, you create a, a radio station that appeals to listeners and clients. It wasn't all that difficult to, to figure out what listeners wanted and what the clients wanted. The clients wanted business. The listeners wanted something entertaining. If you're not going to put out real entertainment, if you're not going to be interesting or entertaining, and you're not really servicing uh, the clients by not creating those customers excited about their products. I don't know what you're doing. I, I don't care if you're you're called a, a, a giant. I don't, I don't care what you think of yourself. I don't care what kind of industry awards you've won. I don't care what your ROI is, what your balance sheets look like. I, I've got no sympathy for people to put out a boring product. Do you think there's still hope for the medium? Or do you think it's the medium itself? Or do you think it's a lack of innovation? Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with the medium. I don't think it has anything to do with technology, uh, you know, platform. It's uh, it's the people who are putting out a, a shabby, boring product. They're, they're the ones who are responsible. So I never blame a medium. That's, uh, you know, like blaming the theater uh, for the poor performance on the stage. It's just not, not because of the theater. It's not the seats. It's not the, it's not the sound. It's not the curtains. Uh, it's not the floor that's that's being cleaned by the by the staff regularly. It's the acting and and the writing. This is probably a good place to segue into talking a little bit about Bill C eighteen, the Online News Act. How much does journalism need Facebook? Well, one of the reasons I I don't particularly care much about it is because if someone tells me that the only way they can get Canadian news is Facebook, I'd have to call them a moron. I mean, there's so many ways of getting Canadian news. I've mentioned some of them. You know, there's there's radio, there's there's TV, there's the web. Clearly, all of these uh, mega companies have their their stuff online. I don't know how on earth it's difficult for anyone to to get Canadian news. You don't need um, an American portal called Facebook or Google to get Canadian news. It's just it's just very easy to access. And I realize these companies are saying that the Googles and the Facebooks are stealing from them, but I don't know how you can call it stealing, you know, they have figured out a way to do what I was talking about a few moments ago, uh, create an excited uh, customer base and marry it to a, a client base. So they're the ones who have figured out how to do it. Accusing them of stealing, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I was very successful 
partly because I got great jobs at what I called 50,000 watt blowtorches, whether they were in Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg. And I guess those people who were not doing as well as we were and not getting the advertising dollars we were getting, I guess sometimes they would accuse us of stealing, but it's not stealing. It's just being better than the competition. How do you think this standoff with Google and Facebook ends for the federal government? Well, I don't think it ends well for the government. I don't know what the government was thinking. I mean, the government wants to get into a pissing contest with an American. I don't care whether you're doing it with an American government or an American corporation. I mean, this is Canada. Canada is not the largest entity, the largest country in the world. So no American government and no American corporation can lose by caving uh, to, to Canada. Because if you lose to Canada, all kinds of other people are going to come after you. So aside from you know the obvious that you don't want to lose to a relatively small competitor, uh, there's ego. And I don't know how the Canadian government or any government can take seriously the idea of negotiating with Americans, whether they're companies or governments, and not take seriously that Americans have egos. You know, It's called a superpower for a reason. Do you see a path forward for Canadian journalism, even with government support? We're talking about companies that have shown thousands of people the door in the name of boosting that quarterly return to shareholders. And at the back of my mind, I question whether inside that model, real investment and innovation is possible. To be brutally honest, it's not something I, not something I think about a lot. I mean, I don't think you have to be a great big company. Uh, to operate a newspaper or a news site in in a town and city, well, that's the news that people care about the most. You know their local news. You don't have to be a, a giant operator to do that. And with technology the way it is, you don't have to be a giant operator to offer news nationally. You just have to be good at reporting, good at writing, and 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 good at marketing. And I, I realize I'm making it sound a bit easier than it really is. But if you've got talented people, the technology exists today to help any relatively small operator that is creative and and ambitious and hardworking access millions of people. Uh, I, I just think the idea that national journalism has to come out of the particular entities that we have now, I, I think that's absurd. Just It's just not the way history works. You know, uh, countries don't uh, get entitled uh, to success just by virtue of the fact that uh, they're large countries, uh, just by virtue of the fact that their governments have been strong. Every day is a, a new day, and every day there's a new battle to be won. And I just think that a lot of these companies over the years have been incredibly complacent. They've taken their audiences and their advertisers for granted. And I don't think that they're entitled to Canadian journalism uh, for hundreds of years. It just, life doesn't work that way. I want to talk more about your move back to Winnipeg, Charles. Can you tell me why you chose to settle there after a number of years in Vancouver? Well, you know, I've often joked that I made more friends in uh, seven minutes in uh, Winnipeg than seven years in Vancouver. There's something about uh, people in Winnipeg that appeals to me. I don't have any idea. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I have no idea why I get a bigger buzz of uh, the community in Winnipeg than I do in Vancouver. It's certainly not geography. Vancouver is the, the prettiest place I've ever lived by far. I mean, it's just, uh, it just takes your breath away. Uh, and if I were just a tourist, uh, there's no way that I would live anywhere else. But I'm not a tourist. Uh, I'm a citizen. 
a very lucky citizen because listeners mostly in Canada have been very, very good to me over, as I said, over the course of five decades. And so I can live anywhere in the world I want to live. I prefer living in Canada and Winnipeg is where I've spent, oh my goodness, uh, I guess over half my adult life. So uh, why am I in Winnipeg? Because it feels like home. It is home. Are you still feeling the love from the from the CJOB and Chorus Network listeners? I want to tell you, Gord McDonald used to love it when I told this story at Chorus Vancouver. But when I arrived there in 2004, I'll tell you, the people from Winnipeg could care less that I was in Vancouver. All they wanted to know is what Peter Warren was up to. How's Peter's <laughs> skin condition? Uh, you know, how's Peter doing? Yeah. That town really has a love affair with, with talk radio. Well, yeah, I, I, I have no relationship at all with, with Peter. I, I was never a, a friend of Peter's. I met him very briefly in Winnipeg when I came here to, to fill his uh, great big boots, as it were. But um, I guess Winnipeggers over the years stayed in touch with me because I did a national show out of Vancouver. So we had lots of listeners in, in Winnipeg, although some nights we were preempted for sports, mostly mostly hockey. But uh, Winnipeggers stayed uh, loyal for the most part. Uh, and I've got, you know, many, I do two columns a week for the Winnipeg Free Press. And many of the people who email me are people who grew up listening to me on, on CGOB. And, of course, I bump into people everywhere in Winnipeg who got to know me because of uh, CGOB. There were people who wanted me to run for council a couple of times, which prospect of being a councillor was just more more boring than anything I can imagine. Tried to be respectful of people's sort of suggestions. And I said, well, I'll take, a, I'll take a look at it. So I took a look. I poked my head into a bunch of Tim Hortons and McDonald's and other restaurants in uh, various wards in Winnipeg where people were suggesting that I run. One of them was in, I guess, in St. James, the other in Charleswood. And whenever I poked my head in anywhere, head in anywhere, it could have been a bar, it could have been a bowling alley, it could have been a Tim Hortons, it didn't matter. I opened up my voice just to ask people how they felt about uh, local issues and introduced myself. I didn't even have to because before I even got to say my name, they uh, they recognized the voice. And I'm not saying that would happen anywhere in the country. It, it could happen in lots of different places in the country, in, you know, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, uh, Calgary. But um, it happens more often in, in Winnipeg. So there's a relationship that I've cultivated in Winnipeg, and I, I have to give CGOB a lot of credit for that. CGOB was the dominant station for a long time, and I was on the... I guess the the premier, the marquee show, the nine to noon show for CGOB, and there's there's no way that I can be realistic about my uh, connection with Winnipeg without giving the fifty thousand watt blowtorch of Manitoba a lot of credit for that. Do you think there's a different sense of place post pandemic, where there aren't those optics of having to be in a Vancouver or a Toronto or a Montreal? In our digital world, you don't need to be in a major market anymore to accomplish what you can accomplish digitally. Well, I've never felt that way, Connie. Uh, I mean, heck, when I uh, launched uh, launched a few national shows now in Canada, and uh, the first national show I launched uh, in Canada was in Winnipeg in 2003, 2004, something like that. And uh, people were saying, well, you, you have to be in Toronto to have a national show. And I said, why? And some people said, you have to be in Vancouver to have a national show or Montreal. You have to be one of those big cities. And I just said, I don't I don't get it. Like, well, why would the listener care? I mean, you know, the listener cares about where my heart is, where my mind is. 
not where my backside is. So I kept my backside firmly planted in Winnipeg, and it made absolutely no difference. Is there a thought you want to close on, Charles? Well, the only thought I want to close on is I want to thank you very much for the incredibly hard work that you do, uh, keeping people in the industry in, in touch with each other. And uh, despite the fact that, you know, some of what we're talking about isn't uh, positive, what's most positive to me as far as my relationship with Broadcast Dialogue and my relationship with, with Connie Thiessen in this particular discussion is uh, just gratitude. I just have a lot of gratitude to people in the industry, to naturally the people who are listening, who are consuming our industry, but I really have a lot of uh, gratitude toward the magazine and now podcast that is allowing uh, people in the industry to to have a platform to discuss industry issues. So I just want to thank you very much. And uh, I just want to thank anyone who's uh, listening to this podcast who has been a listener over the years. Um, appreciate what you've done for me. You can email me anytime. It's easy to find me, charles at charlesadler.com. Love to hear from you. And I'd just like to express as much gratitude as, as a human being can for, for this wonderful journey. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate that. Do you want to plug the podcast quickly? Sure. It's the uh, Charles Adler Show. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, that's what we're calling it, the Charles Adler Show. And you can pick it up on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you go. And um, if you do get on our podcast, I uh, hope you give us a follow. Either click on follow or subscribe. And uh, we'll make sure that we're in your life for several days a week. And I hope you enjoy our conversations and a newsy kind of feature that I, I love to do called Three Minutes That Matter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Connie. for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.